How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello everyone and welcome to The Bubbling Adventure, a podcast all about kids and how positive education and conscious parenting can impact their entire life as well as society. Each week we are having conversations with guests on different themes and our aim is to have open discussions, share different points of view and learn in a non-judgmental way. Today we are talking about school and how we can implement positive education so that it's more inclusive for all students. Ria is a teacher and she explains how sometimes adults see a child who is misbehaving and label it as disrespect without realizing that behavior serves a function. She gives a lot of advice on how adults can make sure school is a better experience for kids. I hope you will enjoy this episode. I say this all the time, but for you it's free and for me it is truly helpful. So the best way you can help this podcast is to subscribe if you haven't already and write a review if you're listening from Apple Podcasts. You can also take a screenshot of the episode and tag us on Instagram at The Bubbling Adventure. But without further ado, let's begin! Hi, Ria. How are you today? Hi, Julie. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thank you. No, I'm very happy to, to have you on. I think it's going to be a very interesting subject. But before we begin, could you please introduce yourself? Yes, absolutely. And thank you for having me on today. Just in in preparation, I was looking over some of the previous episodes and I love what you're doing, focusing on positive education. I think it's so important for people to hear that there, you know, are other more positive ways of educating. So I'm really 
thankful that you uh, put that out. Absolutely. So I currently do a few different things. Um, I have my own podcast and website, but I am also a special education teacher or, or was this coming year, I will be the response to intervention coordinator, um, which goes right along with, with what we're discussing today. Nice. Yes. So that's great because then you're going to be able to have more responsibilities. You were telling me a little bit more about that. Can you develop on, you know, how long you've been doing that for? What sparked that, you know, Yes, absolutely. absolutely. So I decided I wanted to become a teacher because I knew that I just really wanted to help people. Nobody likes to see others, you know, in pain or suffering. And I saw so many needs in children in the community and just in general. And knowing that children are the next generation of leaders, that seems like the people you want to help. So I started teaching in 2017 as a special education teacher. I took a little break to start my business and then went back into teaching. And Mm -hmm. I was super, uh, am, am still super passionate about kids that have behavioral concerns or typically the ones that are labeled the quote bad kids. Mm -hmm. Because they're the ones that have needs that are being unmet. And that's really what I've learned over time. And as a teacher, which inspired me to, to start my podcast, I realized that, that adults really need help. We have a lot of adults that, you know, are living in poverty or are in pain themselves or have trauma that they still need to deal with. And it's really hard to, to parent or educate when, when you have that own baggage that you're trying to deal with as well. Um, and we talked a little bit, you know, if you don't have, hundred percent of yourself, you know, you don't have anything to give. So it's really important that not only are we helping these kids and individualizing to what they need, but helping parents, teachers, and other adults as well. So that way we can, you know, continue the growth through society. Mm, That's very true. I'm actually uh, doing a course in family engagement at the moment. And I think it's mind-blowing and I don't think I mean it sounds quite obvious but I don't think a lot of people realize the change that it makes on uh, students and how they feel about school and how successful they're going to be at school if their family is implicated so family means any you know figure that uh, is not necessarily a parental figure it can be a neighbor cousin or something but someone is going to be there and help you and educate you through you know, schools, homework and all that. Absolutely. Um, Family engagement and just community involvement is so important because it sets that example for students. If you have two children, one whose family is involved in their education, you know, they're, they're helping go through sight words or doing, you know, whatever with their kids. And then you have another student whose family or community members, people in their lives aren't engaged with their schooling. Uh, Many times those students are the ones that are going to look at school as unimportant because their family has set that example that Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, I don't need to do that or I don't need to participate. And so the child picks up on that, whether, you know, they're consciously aware of it or not, they're picking up on this idea that school's not important. And that later on leads to, you know, higher dropout rates because they're seeing the importance of getting a job over finishing their education. Mm-hmm. And often they also fail just because they're not putting the, the time, the dedication. And yeah, if it's not important to you, then why bother working hard? So no, that, that's very interesting. And there's a lot of ways to to engage families as well. But I think it's it's amazing what you're doing. 
and it must be beautiful also to see the changes you know for example I, I can imagine that you come with a case and there's a sudden change it's maybe day and night can you give us a few examples yeah absolutely I have I think every teacher has the you know certain students that come to mind that just really made an impact on you and I think parents and students don't get to hear that enough is that they make an impact on us as well and there's one student that comes to mind that did have severe behavioral concerns he had a lot of aggression and you know was was somewhat dangerous in in some situations there were some dangers present and he was always acted so tough and you know like nobody could tell him what to do mm -hmm. and he was in fourth grade and he played play-doh with me and he told me about his sisters and you know what he did for fun and what toys he liked and I, I'm almost get a little emotional talking about it now because every other teacher looked at this child like he was a problem and he just wanted mm -hmm. to make people mad and he was just defiant and really I found out he hadn't eaten all weekend and he didn't have clean clothes and he his basic needs weren't being met and all it took was for me to play Play-Doh with him and just sit there and be, I don't want to say a friend because as a teacher, you know, you don't really want to be their friend, but just someone to listen instead of constantly getting on to him, letting him talk to me. So that, that is probably the most shining example of what just a little shift in your own mindset or just a more understanding of your own traumas and just having that mindset of I'm here to help you instead of this is my baggage and let me take it out on you. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I mean, I'm guessing that it must be a bit more complicated when there are a lot of students. You must get that a lot, right? The, you know, yes, but how do you do when there's 30 students? <laughs> That's a great question. That's a really good question. So it's harder. And that is one reason that I went into special education versus general education is because I knew that I could have a greater impact in individual lives when I was able to pull them out one-on-one. -on -one and I had, you know, a co-teacher that could, could handle the rest of the class while I was doing that. Um, but in a situation where you don't have that, you know, if you have 20 or 30 kids in a classroom, that's a lot to manage. And I've been in classrooms where you have one or two students that have behavioral concerns um, or, you know, maybe diagnoses that impact how they interact in the classroom. And once one student starts doing something over here, the other student on the other side of the room will start and it just is like a popcorn effect. So what we really try and do is create a calming environment and eliminate any sensory concerns. Many school buildings have those fluorescent lights. So I try not to keep them on because that, I don't know if you've experienced that noise um, drives me crazy. So I know it's driving them crazy. And, you know, if a student needs movement, I allow them to walk around their desk while we're teaching. The student doesn't have to look at me as long as, you know, they're not bothering anybody. Nine times out of 10, that student will know that information. But we're stuck in this, sit in a desk and stare. And, you know, so I think it, it's kind of 50, 50 in the moment, you, you just have to react in the best way that you can and, you know, rely on those relationships you've built. But that's the most important part is building those relationships. So you're not getting to like an anarchy situation in the classroom, having those relationships and having mutual respect between you as the teacher and then with the students. Mm, right. Yeah. I can imagine that if, one starts to misbehave then I think that yeah the popcorn analogy is pretty 
pretty good. <laughs> you can definitely picture that. Yes, but so what are the sort of techniques I would say that are used currently that you don't typically agree with? I think we can start there. There's quite a lot of things to say. Oh, yes. <laughs> so my biggest thing uh, in regards to, you know, strategies that just don't work are ones that don't focus on the behavior and the function of the behavior. Because many times, let's say a child is misbehaving because they want attention either from a peer or an adult. So instead of yelling at them or writing them up or taking a point away or, you know, moving them down the clip chart, doing something that's publicly humiliating is, is not helpful. Instead of doing that, that doesn't really correlate with the behavior, instead give them positive attention. So let's say a student is sitting and, you know, they're playing with a pencil or they're calling out or misbehaving some way. So you, uh, it depends on the student and you have to rely on that relationship. But ideally, you ignore that negative behavior. And as soon as they stop, I mean, you have to be very aware, but the second they stop, Oh my goodness, Johnny, I love how you're sitting in your chair. I love that, you know, you have your hands on I mean, just overly praised for the smallest of things. And you're meeting the need of attention. You know, you're giving them that attention, but you're showing them how to do it in a way that is appropriate for the setting. Mm, I like that. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely good. And I mean, it's focusing on the positive rather than always picking out on the negative, which feels like it happened a lot when I was a student, <laughs> uh, being like called out and yeah, humiliated by an adult as well. It's a, it's a position of power that some teachers have over the kids. So it's not even fair because you can't talk back. You can't argue back <laughs> or anything, right. And I think one of the biggest things is remembering or, well, remembering that Yes, they're children, but they're little people. I mean, they get hungry and angry and sad. And a lot of times when a student is starting to go into crisis, so they're escalating, but maybe they're not in the full-blown crisis, they're, the more they go up, the more their cognitive abilities go down. So their ability to articulate what's wrong, their ability to you know calm themselves and identify, I need my fidget toy or any, as, as their escalation um, and their emotions are heightened, they're not able to communicate that. So we, as the teacher, um, you know, or the adult in the situation have to remember that this is another person that we're talking to. They might be a child, but they still have all the emotions. They're still humiliated being called out in front of everyone. You know, they don't want all these things that we're doing. They want to be treated like people too. So I think Mm. that's important to remember. Yes, and as we were saying earlier, school is such a big chunk of their life as well. And we expect them to be engaged and succeed and all of that. But I mean, you said it better than me. You know, it's this is a huge part of their life and it's so important that they get to grow and develop rather than being, you know, pushed down and Um, I I guess like shaped like all the same as well because I don't think I mean everybody's everybody's so different it would be such a shame that we just you know put everyone in the same in the same mold well and we were talking earlier about you know like you you said that it's so much of their life that is their life I mean you know they have their friend their social life all of all of that's at school 
And for us, it's just a job, you know, we can get in the car and leave. We have our family at home. You know, we might be thinking about when we're going to pick up groceries or the dry cleaning, but kids aren't They're They're at school and that's, that's their whole life. And so if you think about, um, I, we were talking earlier about those younger students, how your kindergarten teacher, as silly as it sounds, you might think, you know, your 11th grade teacher or your ninth grade, te- you know, someone in high school is that really formative person, but it starts in kindergarten because, you know, you and I might have the idea of kindergarten as this fun place with bubbles and rainbows and, you know, all that. But if you have a teacher who is expecting you to sit in a desk for eight hours a day, who's humiliating you by, you know, calling you out in front of your friends, you know, all you're doing is writing words on a piece of paper, you're going to learn that school is miserable. It's boring. It's a place where you can't play and have fun and talk to your friends versus, you know, if you had a teacher who was kind and encouraged you to be creative and explore and all of those things, then that's how you're going to view school. And it science shows that your experiences, the earlier in life that you have these experiences, the more that they're going to impact you later. So a kind teacher in kindergarten is so, so much more important than a kind teacher in 12th grade, because your neural connections are Mm -hmm. forming in kindergarten, you're understanding what the world's about. And so if you, um, you know, are an adult that works with young children, that is so important to keep at the forefront of your mind is that every day they're building these connections and it's our choice. It's our, you know, it's within our control, how those are going to form and how those children are going to see themselves later. Mm, I couldn't agree more. And actually I remember some of my teachers for being good and some for being like bad. I remember when I was, I think I must have been five or something because my coloring wasn't good enough. I was like dragged out by the neck in the corridor and I, I was just alone in the corridor being like just because and a very I couldn't small teacher to a five-year-old yeah. you know that height difference is is big in and of itself it's scary so y- you do remember it you know it's, it's not necessarily going away and yeah no I think it's it's crazy as uh, how well yeah some some teachers don't even realize the the impact that they have good or bad but I'm wondering for a special needs school uh, how did COVID impact the whole situation? So (laughs) COVID was interesting I live in the southeastern United States so we had a lot and I I can't speak for every school district obviously just Mm -hmm. my own but we had a lot of okay well we're gonna go virtual for two weeks and then come back and we're gonna let these this amount of students and five-year-olds don't keep masks on very well. And no matter how much you try to say, you know, hey, bud, pull your mask up, pull your mask up. And so I do inclusion where I work with um, special education students that are within the general education setting. And it was, it, it, it was a challenge. Many of our students back, um, kind of went backwards from the virtual in-person, virtual in-person, you know, bouncing back and forth. But I personally really like to focus on positive things. And I, I have two students who, through virtual learning, really excelled. I mean, I think there's something very special about technology that students who traditionally, you know, reading and writing, maybe they have motor concerns where they're, they're not able to grip the pencil appropriately and writing's hard for them. I actually have a student that has that, um, writing very hard. He would throw tantrums, all of that. 
we went to virtual and he has been so happy. He has gotten all of his assignments done. I mean, he is so excited because we're not forcing him to use a pencil when he couldn't use a pencil. Kind of like you gave the example of, you know, asking a fish to climb a tree. It's not going to happen. And so that's where we do see a lot of behavioral concerns is when we're asking students to do things that they're not developmentally ready for, or, you know, maybe just physically it's hard. And then going back to your original question about just how COVID has impacted many students. Well, I don't want to say many students in special education. It, you know, depends on the student. We're all individuals, but I have a lot of students that struggle with social skills and communication. So that was probably the biggest part is that during COVID, we can't hug, you know, we can't show our smiles, we can't give high fives. So we've been doing a lot of elbows and, you know, thumbs up and trying to keep that positivity. But I am excited for when, you know, we can go back to hugs and smiles, because there's nothing that really beats this. For sure, for sure. The mask is very different. And sometimes you wonder if it's all they're gonna remember, you know, is it going to be so normal? But I guess, How can you, because you only have a school year, so that goes quite fast. How can you, you know, have time to assess what they need personally and then put in place a positive strategy that works for everyone? <laughs> so that, and we've kind of talked about that a lot about, you know, just children needing individual things. There's this misconception that we should just teach to the average child, but in reality, there's no average. I mean, we're all, we're all different. So really that's where that response to intervention piece comes in. There's a couple of different systems and it may be different, you know, depending on your country or, or school system. But for, for me and in the United States, we have response to intervention, which identifies students who are at risk based on test scores, which I don't absolutely love, but, you know, based on test scores, teacher observation, parent questionnaires, you know, a parent might say that they're concerned about something. So we, we look at um, a lot of different factors, their social um, functioning, their motor functioning, things like that. And there's three tiers to RTI or response to intervention. And then after that, that's when we would consider special education. So we put um, interventions in place that are specific to that child's needs based on all those mm -hmm. things that we look at. And then, you know, we move up the tiers or, or stay at the same, depending on what the child needs. For behavior though, there is a process called an FBA, which is a functional behavior assessment. So what we do is ideally for 10 days, we look at what the student's doing and we record, you know, how long it lasts. So the, the duration, um, how intense it was, what um, came before it, what came after it. And we take a look at, okay, well, it seems like at 9.05 every day, whenever they encountered this specific classmate, this behavior happens and we can pick up patterns um, by doing it for 10 days and we can see what the main function of their behavior is. Are they trying to gain attention? Are they trying to avoid a certain person or a certain assignment? Or are they trying to gain access to something, you know, maybe a privilege or a tangible item? So when we look at that, we can see those patterns. And then like we talked about earlier, instead of, you know, them uh, misbehaving for negative attention, we can replace it with that positive attention and, and replace those behaviors based on what that kid needs. Right. Uh, how, for example, how do you, you know, sometimes it must be tough when you, you heard, for example, the, the kid's story that he didn't have food all weekend. Mm -hmm. 
how do you help without obviously you know you're not social services so there is only so much that you can do how do you react that's hard and it's especially hard because of the way that systems are designed because there's a lot of things that are things that aren't allowed but for good reason So for instance, I mean, this is a more extreme example, I guess, but as a teacher, I wouldn't feel comfortable driving a student home in my personal car, whether they're in kindergarten or 12th grade, you know, I wouldn't feel comfortable with that. But that's a good example of a situation where, well, what if this child was never picked up? What, you know, we can't get into contact with the parents, you know, and the school has systems in place to handle those types of situations. But you, a lot of times as a teacher get stuck between a rock and a hard place of here's what the protocol says, but here's where we're at with student needs. So um, an example in my own life of something like that, one student, um, we, we did the behavior assessment, figured out that every day, at, I think it was like 2.45, he had a meltdown and it, it was very aggressive when he would, you know, go into crisis. And we're trying to figure out like, what is going on at 2.45 every day? We'll come to find out after talking with the student, the mom, the teacher, you know, gathering all these sources of information, he wasn't eating his lunch and he was hungry. He was just hangry, I guess you could say, you know, he was Mm -hmm. starving. And so mom asked if, you know, we could have like a snack, if she could put a snack in his book bag for later. However, protocol says we can't do that because, you know, bugs and rats, you don't, if, if he's eating a snack and the other kids aren't, you know, there's a lot of logistical issues. So in general, we say no. So what I did, which is a little iffy, but I talked to the parent, you know, made sure there were no allergies, checked with like what snacks are preferred. And so I keep a box of granola bars in my classroom and at 2.45 every day, or maybe like 2.30 to catch him before his meltdown, you know, grab him. Hey bud, here's your granola bar. Let's just hang out in my room and eat it. He knows that he doesn't discuss it with the other students. And it's just a small way that we can make sure he's, he's safe. He's taken care of. He's not hungry. And everybody, everybody wins there. So again, I think it goes back to the teacher, you know, really having empathy and and understanding what these kids are going through to be able to meet whatever need they, that they have. Mm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's very helpful. And so how did your job impact the way you're raising your own kids? I guess that would be very interesting. Oh, that, that's a really good question. So I, I think I shared earlier, my, my own kids, my personal children, um, they are in Montessori school because working as a public school teacher and just working in the school system, I see where students, even with the best intention teachers, even with, you know, people who really genuinely love the kids, we're training them to sit in a desk or sit in a cubicle for eight hours a day. And I, as much as I don't want that for any student, I, you know, don't want that for my own kids as well. So we did go with Montessori because they do have that movement. They're able to work with kids of different ages and work at their level instead of, again, that quote, average student, um, wherever they are and wherever testing says they're supposed to be. I would rather them learn through discovery and, and exploration. Yeah, no, that completely makes sense. How old are they? So my youngest is three and my oldest is six. So they're still pretty little. Yeah. Okay. No, but it's definitely great years as well to do Montessori. And I mean, I'm sure they're learning loads and it's definitely interesting. 
to see how you know the different techniques to like there's so many ways of learning one thing yes. shouldn't just be one and I like the fact that all the levels are uh, mixed as well for the most part I mean there's different schools for different ages I believe but yeah they all kind of um, intermix and a lot of that I mean if you think about you and I, or, you know, I think about myself, I really excelled in science as a student, and I would have loved to have more information about science, but I didn't do so great in math. So instead of second grade, we learn this science, this math, why not have it to where, you know, oh, you're doing really good in science. Here's, here's some more intense material, you know, or more challenging material, but you're not going, doing so well in math. Let's go down and see where the problems are. Um, and I think mm. that's what we need more of in our education system. I would have loved that. Yeah. <laughs> my, like my level in math never picked up. So I would have been good with, you know, the very basic, like my whole life. And it, it would have taken that long to understand it. So, yeah, I mean, that would have been way more adapted rather than having to drag myself and have, you know, one, one-on-one -on -one classes after school. And it didn't do anything. So... I was always crying at the kitchen table working on homework and, you know, my parents were yelling at me to, to get it done. And, and that's, that's not how kids learn. And I think that we're in a good place in time where we're, we're, we know this now, you know, we're, we, we know what the science says. We know how kids, kids learn best. So being able to meet where they're at, um, I think by, by not doing that and by not providing positive education, you know, we could be robbing the world of a, a brain surgeon or the person that cures cancer or solves global warming because, you know, if we let them express that creativity and learn in ways that work for them, there's no no telling what they can do. It's just giving them that opportunity. No, that's absolutely true. I think uh, encouraging creativity and interest, like true passion um, is is very important rather than being all in the same mold and then it's it works for some for sure uh, I think again we're all different and some people excel at school with the grades and all of that so let's not take that away from them uh, but let's find a way to maybe make it a bit more inclusive for for the others but no it's very interesting and so is there any advice that you would like to share or last advice <laughs> So I think that the biggest thing, um, I, we said it earlier, but I just think it's so important that at the end of the day, if nothing else, just realizing that that's another person, you know, and treating, treating the ch uh, children mm -hmm. or students in your life as if they're another person and getting rid of this whole, you know, children should be seen and not heard idea because it's really not going to benefit anyone. They're going to be leaders one day and, you know, we need to treat them as such, the, the future leaders. Yeah, that's perfect. And, and that's why we do this, I guess. That's because education is as, at the root of absolutely everything. And yeah, like we, we hope for a better world for them, for everyone. So it completely makes sense. But uh, thank you so much, Ria, for sharing all of your expertise with us. It's wonderful. And we will leave all of your links in the description box as well. So people can check you out on social media and so on. Yes. Thank you so much for having me, Julie. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to share if you think it might be helpful to someone you know. If you enjoyed this episode, then please make sure to write a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and subscribe if you haven't already. 
That's it for me. See you soon with the next episode. And in the meantime, have a lovely day. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.